the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. CC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. There was a group of people in the first century that needed to be reminded that faith doesn't operate in in an ivory tower. It doesn't operate isolated from problems. It operates in the midst of trials and and difficulties and challenges and tough times and, and rough circumstances. These people were known as the Hebrews. We don't know exactly where their church was. We don't know exactly all the circumstances surrounding this. We don't even know who the writer to the Hebrews was. But I'd like you to turn there to Hebrews because we need to be reminded about them. These people were Hebrews who were going through some difficult circumstances. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 25 years, Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside and now his expository messages are available to you thanks to this radio station and the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. Pastor Steve has been leading us for several weeks now on a study of Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been picking up lots of practical principles for living by faith. The heroes of the faith chronicled in that chapter have plenty to teach us, but in order to understand any scripture passage, we need to see it in its context. That's why we're going to back up just a little right now to chapter 10 of Hebrews so we can get an idea of the conditions faced by the original recipients of this letter. That will help us later to understand why the author wrote what he wrote. When we have an idea of the kinds of challenges faced by the Hebrew readers of the document, we'll be better able to apply the truths of this great chapter to our own difficulties. You know, it's amazing how many great illustrations of spiritual life can be found in the world of sports. A friend of mine, years ago, was speaking, and he started to give an illustration from the world of football. Partway through, he stopped and said, I hope you don't mind me using a football illustration. I'm from Nebraska, and frankly, that's all we've got. But sports really do provide a variety of spiritual illustrations. Pastor Steve will give one in just a moment. I mention that because if you're a serious sports fan, especially track and field, you might wonder who he's talking about. Well, he'll be referring to an athlete from the Summer Olympics. If the runner's name seems unfamiliar, think back 15 years to the 1992 Summer Games. This message was originally delivered in December of 1992. In just a few moments, Pastor Steve will be reading from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 25. So if you would like to read along in your own Bible, that is where we will start. And now, here is Pastor Steve. If you watch the Summer Olympic Games, then you have got to remember Gail Devers. Remember Gail? She was the U.S. sprinter who won the gold medal in the 100-meter dash. She now has the honor of being known as the fastest woman in the world. 
But what you may not know about Gail Devers is that a year before the Olympics, she was so ill that she had to be carried. She literally had to be carried because she had the disease known as Graves' disease. That is the same disease that George and Barbara Bush have. It normally can be controlled by medicine, which uh, makes it no major problem, except that the drug that is used in the medicine is banned by the Olympic Committee. So Gail had a, a serious problem. So she underwent radiation treatment, but the side effects were horrible. Her feet became grossly swollen, and amputation became a serious possibility. Now, once the radiation was stopped and the treatment was changed, things began to improve for Gail Devers. And in a month, she was back out, out on the track competing or at least getting in condition for an athletic comeback. And in less than a year's time, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with her gold medal. You see, true athletes never quit. Uh, they aren't intimidated by obstacles. They look at them as challenges to rise to the occasion and to be overcome. Now, in the same sense, those who have true faith are like great athletes. They don't quit either. True faith never quits. Those who have true faith are never intimidated by obstacles. Instead, they, they look at them as opportunities to trust God to demonstrate his power. Now, there was a group of people in the first century that needed to be reminded of that. They needed to be reminded that faith doesn't operate uh, in, in an ivory tower. It doesn't operate, operate isolated from problems. It operates in the midst of trials and, and difficulties and challenges and tough times and, and rough circumstances. These people were known as the Hebrews. We don't know exactly where their church was. We don't know exactly all of the circumstances surrounding this. We don't even know who the writer to the Hebrews uh, was. But I'd like you to turn there to Hebrews because we need to be reminded about them. These people were Hebrews who were going through some difficult circumstances. Hebrews chapter 10 really gives us some insight as to what they were going through. In chapter 10, verse 25, we see that the writer says, You are not to forsake your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I told you when we looked at this verse some weeks ago, that the writer is not saying you ought to be in attendance every Sunday at church. I think that's true for the most part. That's the normal pattern for a believer, at least it should be, but that's not what he's talking about here. When he says, not forsaking your own assembling together, he's saying there are some in your church who have actually abandoned Christ. They've actually forsaken Jesus Christ and the fellowship of believers. In other words, they've gone back to the, to the unbelieving Jewish community and they said, we can't handle the persecution anymore. We can't handle the pressure. We're sorry we ever, we ever even identified with Jesus Christ because they were going through some horrible times, some pressures put upon them. Verse 32 gives us some more insight. But remember, he writes, the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. After you came to Christ or professed faith in Christ, he's saying you endured a great conflict of sufferings. What kind of sufferings? Verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. In other words, what he's saying is somehow in public they were rebuked and they were ridiculed and it was not a private thing. They, they were publicly scorned. 
And also they, they uh, had difficulties because they identify with those who were treated poorly, even if they in particular were not treated poorly. Verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. What is he saying here? That some some of these folks, some of these Christians were not persecuted. For one reason or another, they were not persecuted in and of themselves. But when they went to visit those who were in jail, their fellow believers who were in jail, they came in a sense out of the closet and they said, we identify with our fellow Christians and the authorities and the Jewish uh, community said, aha, and they put pressure apparently on the government and they said, you're Christians too and they're gonna t- we're going to take your property. And they did. They took some of their property. And so they, they went through some severe persecution. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. You have need to persevere and not give up so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. In other words, he's saying you need to hang in there. You need There is a promise for you. There is a reward for you. Don't give up. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Christ is coming again. He'll right every wrong. But, he writes in verse 38, and this is the key to understanding where we're going. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The righteous one that he's talking about are believers. Those who have taken the name of Christ are to live by faith. So what he's saying is, look, I know life is difficult. I know you're undergoing persecution. I know you're suffering. I know you're, you're, some of you are thinking of quitting and some of you have already quit. But I want you to understand that before Christ comes in the meantime, you are to live by faith. But the natural question is this. What does that mean? How do I live by faith? What do you mean live by faith? What does that actually entail? What does it mean to live by faith? And so we move to chapter 11, and that's the context. The writer is telling these people, here's how you live by faith. And what he does is he calls forth the heroes, or at least some of the heroes of the Old Testament. It's not an exhaustive list, but he he gives a list of Old Testament heroes of faith, men and women who never had it easy, men and women who trusted God's word in the midst of their obstacles. They never let these obstacles overcome them. They overcame their obstacles by their faith. And the writer has really taken us through the biblical flow of history. He's taken us through the centuries uh, of Old Testament history. He began with the creation period in Genesis, and right at the beginning he speaks of Abel, and then of Enoch, and then of Noah, who all three of them were men of faith. It's not to say that others were not men or women of faith at that time, but these three are highlighted. Then he moves in Genesis to the patriarchal period, the the leadership of Israel. He speaks of Abraham, and he includes Sarah, and then Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. These were people of faith who trusted God, even though life was not easy. And then we saw a few weeks ago, He moved into Exodus. He's just going down the history line of Israel. He moved into Exodus, and he said the parents of Moses did a wonderful thing by faith when they hid him because they didn't fear the wrath of of the king of Egypt. And then he speaks of the faith of Moses, and then finally the children of Israel as they kept the Passover, and then they left Egypt by faith. 
They left Egypt. Now this morning, we want to see two more incidents of people who demonstrated their faith. And the key to understanding this morning and the broad category and theme of, of our study this morning is faith overcomes obstacles. We've looked at a number of of principles about faith. This morning, it's faith overcomes obstacles, and we're going to look at two incidents that that demonstrate that. Faith overcomes obstacles, uh, and we see that, first of all, in the fall of Jericho, the city of Jericho, when the walls came tumbling down. Verse 30. I'm just going to look at verses 30 and 31, but there's so much that's packed into this. Verse 30. By faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, the story of the walls of Jericho falling down uh, is a story that's known to many of us through through our days in Sunday school or through that popular spiritual song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I guess it's Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came a tumbling down. It's, you know, people, most people, even if they don't believe the Bible, know about Jericho and the walls tumbling down. But to the writer of the Hebrews, this Old Testament account of the walls of Jericho falling down is not simply a dramatic and adventurous Sunday school Bible lesson. It's not a, a Negro spiritual. It's an example of faith. It's an example of faith because it demonstrates how faith operates. It's a marvelous illustration of how faith operates and, and even though this incident happened thousands of years ago, its principles for today uh, are timeless and, and so relevant as we look at it today, and it will be relevant tomorrow. It is always relevant. Now, I want you to understand something. Between verses 29 and 30 is a 40-year span of time that our writer doesn't tell us about. Why? Well, let's look at verse 29. By faith, the children of Israel... And I'm adding that, but that's what he means. They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So verse 29 is talking about the exodus. The children of Israel leaving Egypt, they did this by faith. The Egyptians did not have faith. They had presumption. But uh, the children of Israel demonstrated their faith. And it was the faith of Moses, the faith of Israel. As they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The stories of the Old Testament are packed with great teachings that apply to us today. Pastor Steve will be right back to continue our class. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you just tuned in and are wondering what's going on, we're in the middle of part one of a three-part message about the heroes of the faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, this is Pastor Steve's ninth message from that tremendous chapter that we often call the faith chapter. Let's now return to class and see what we can learn from the life of Joshua. Now, for the next 40 years, if you remember your, your Bibles, the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. It was about 40 years, not exactly, about 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. It should have taken them just a few weeks to get to the land of promise. But you remember why they wandered for about 40 years? Because they were faithless. They were faithless. They had no faith. 
They grumbled and they complained, and it was because of their lack of faith God judged them and said, you will not uh, possess the promised land until everyone 20 years and older are going to die. You're going to die in the wilderness. Then the new generation of young people who will be older at that point will enter the land. So the reason that we cross the span of time of 40 years is because there's nothing within that period of 40 years to speak about faith. They were faithless. They never acted collectively as a, as a group that had faith until 40 years later when they crossed over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. You actually have to cross over, get in there, uh, that land that God had promised to them. God said you are to conquer the land. However, if you look at a, a, a map, a geography map of Bible lands, you'll see that if you cross over the Jordan River and you're going to take the land, you have a major obstacle facing you, and that is the city of Jericho. That is the city of Jericho, uh, of which you could see, by the way, if you go to Israel. There's a sign there that says, oldest city in the world. Jericho, though, was strategically, and it's, a, it's in a beautiful spot of, of land, it was strategically located on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Anyone trying to invade Canaan had to deal with Jericho, and so... The people of Jericho were prepared for such attacks. They basically were the strategic city that you had to get through in order to get along into the uh, valleys. And so what they had, they had well-trained soldiers, and more significantly, they had walls surrounding the city which were high and thick, and they were massive stone walls. And years earlier, years earlier, remember this, when Moses sent the spies into Canaan, and this is the whole pro- problem with their unbelief years earlier. Moses spent, sent some spies into Canaan to check out the land. Remember what their report was? Their report, and by the way, their report was basically accurate. It was their attitude that was wrong. God didn't judge them because of their report. He judged them because of their attitude. Their, their report was pretty accurate. Here's what they said. The people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And then they said later on, Compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. We're just like little jumping grasshoppers. They'll stomp on us. We can't do this. Now, that was what God judged them for, that attitude. But um, what they were saying was accurate. The people are large, and the cities are, are large, and they're fortified. How can we possibly penetrate them? But 40 years later, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, you will penetrate. You will overcome those walls. So he tells Joshua to conquer the city of Jericho, and he tells him how it's to be done. And it's a rather unconventional method. So let's turn to Joshua. In the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 6. If you're not sure where Joshua is, it's right after the first five books of the Bible, and that's right after Deuteronomy. You'll come to Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Now, at this point, Moses has died. Joshua is the new leader. He is General Joshua. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Now Joshua, now, now Jericho, rather, was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. 
no one went out, no one came in. So they, they knew that they were coming. I mean, it was, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people marching here. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hands with its king and, and the valiant warriors, see, very strong warriors. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And that means the Ark of the Covenant. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. And then one one other thing, just look at verse 10, because it doesn't say it in the original instructions, but this is interesting and, and helpful. Verse 10, but Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you shout, then you shall shout. And that is exactly what happened. Okay. Now, when you think about it, that's a rather odd thing to do if you're going to take a city. Very strange way to conquer a city. March around the city once a day for six consecutive days with seven priests. You have the armed men in front, and you have seven priests who are blowing on instruments, uh, trumpets made of ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. Then you have some other, I think some other army men would follow, and then the people, or at least the men, the men would follow. You do this for, for, uh, for six days, six consecutive days. Then on the seventh day, circle the city seven times. Not once, but seven times without saying a word. Without saying a word. But on the seventh time, as you go around Jericho, when you hear the, the long blast from the trumpets of the, of the priests, you are to shout. Everybody shout. And once you shout, the walls are going to come falling and crashing down. Now, I have never been in the military, but I know that that's not how you normally take a city. That's a strange thing. Even in ancient times, uh, there are no military weapons mentioned here, no battering ram to break down the walls of the city. That's an odd thing to say. Why did God say that? Why did he tell the Israelites to do it this way? Very peculiar way. And here's the answer, because God wanted to establish at the very beginning of their days in the promised land, they had never been there before, that they could trust him, that he had the power to do anything, that there was nothing impossible with him. They couldn't take credit for this. What a silly thing to do. There, there was no credit that they could, that they could say. Joshua couldn't say, you know, it was because of my brilliant strategy that, that we overcame the city. No. And, and this is what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. He's saying that the walls of Jericho came crashing down because the people of Israel believed God's word. And that's the only reason. Now, regardless of the fact, uh, of the fact that this approach I mean, the walls came down, but think about it. This approach made absolutely no sense to them, and they were probably ridiculed by the Jerichoites. I think that's what you'd call them, Jerichoites. Uh, think about this, how embarrassing. If you were there and, and you were one of the soldiers, you know, these walls around the city were so massive that people could actually stand on these walls and look down. Could you imagine the abuse, the verbal abuse these Jewish people would take by the Jerichoites? I mean, I can't even imagine. They'd probably laugh at them. 
knowing human de depraved nature, they probably threw things down. I mean, they do that at baseball games to ball players. So why wouldn't they do it back then to people? Probably threw things down on them. And, and, and God said, don't even say a word. Don't even say a word. It just marched around. It must have been embarrassing. They must have looked silly. They must have thought that uh, we really look like oddballs doing this. You know, sometimes the greatest obstacle we have to faith is our pride. There are times when God tells us to do something that just absolutely goes against our, our nature, our tendency, our humanness. And sometimes that's the biggest obstacle is, uh, is how we think. We are out of time for today, but I hope you can join us again for the next class. Pastor Steve will have some specific applications that we can make to help us deal with the challenges to our faith that some of us face every day. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His messages are made available to the listeners of this fine radio station every weekday through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry made possible by the generous gifts and faithful prayers of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you missed the start of class, you can hear it again at our website. The website is versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download it for later. You might like to sign up for our free podcasting service while you're at it. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the first part of a three-part message. If you would like to order a cassette tape or an audio CD with the entire message, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. Pastor Steve will have some advice for us next time that might not... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it and i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com